You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are in the middle of our series entitled Selfless. Basically, this series is about uh, the kind of love that you and I are looking for and the kind of love that you and I ought to give to others. Selfless. Uh, you know, in you know, in contrary to being selfish, uh, last week we uh, have heard from Pastor CJ as he talked about uh, that ultimately the most selfless love that was ever given to us really came from God, and that on that sacrifice uh, at the cross on in Calvary uh, two thousand years ago, that uh, the most selfless love has been given to us. And, uh, you know, that's the reason why we're celebrating every single day. We come here every Sunday. We worship Him. And uh, the Bible says to be an imitator of God. Look at the person beside you and tell the person, be an imitator of God. Okay, so he, he basically encouraged us to imitate Him, to imitate God, and to walk in His ways. And so basically that was the first uh, sermon last uh, week. Today we're going to be focusing on this uh, topic on marriage. All right, and so this is actually a uh, a big topic. Uh, I don't intend to, you know, take the entire time. You know, it, it will take a lifetime for us to be able to unearth uh, really what God has in store for marriage. But in the limited time that we have, we want to look at what the Scripture says about marriage and what does it mean for us to have a selfless love in marriage. Okay, now how many of you are married here? Please raise your hand. And you're happy, okay? Happily married, okay? Or whatever, married, okay? Married people, please raise your hand. All right. Uh, you know, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for investing uh, in your relationship with one another. Now, how many of you are singles? And hopefully that one day you will get married as well. Uh, okay, please raise your hand right now to be advertised. Uh, no, just kidding. So that you will be known, okay? So selfless love. Uh, in Tagalog, walang hinihintay na kapalit. Parang Jollibee commercial lang yun, eh, no? Uh, it's kind of like that uh, vow or, uh, you know, that uh, almusal commercial, you know. It was so popular nowadays that I actually had lunch in Jollibee this uh, today, okay? Um, speaking of marriage, you know, it's, uh, it's really very important for us to understand what marriage is. And, uh, you know, as I had researched, uh, I'm still encouraged because as I look back in our Philippine family code uh, written in 1987, the basic definition of marriage is it's a permanent union between a man and a woman. So it's still there. It has to be two different genders, not same sex. Okay, I know that uh, some, uh, some countries have allowed and legalized marriage uh, with the same sex. In fact, uh, if you look further down in our family code, to get a marriage license, it has to be a man and a woman, and a license may not be issued for the marriage of persons of the same sex. It's just written right there in our family code. How many of you are thankful to the Lord for the Philippine family code? Amen. And I'm, I'm, you know, we're believing that it will not change because this is definitely the institution that God has designed. There's a purpose why God has made marriage to be like that. It has to be a man and a woman. Now, I understand that there are different reasons why people get married. Okay, uh, one of the reasons may be uh, you get married for happiness. You know, maybe you're lonely and you want to be happy, so you re- you you want to get married. How many of you realize that I have actually counseled so many married couples, and even when as they're married, they're still lonely because they did not realize that as a lonely person, they also married another lonely person. 
Lonely plus lonely is ultimate loneliness, right? And so it is not a promise of happiness, you know, when you get married because ultimately we find our joy only in Christ. Amen. In Christ alone. And we've heard these words, you complete me. Only Christ can complete us. Of course, I've used this illustration already. What's the difference between complete and finish? You, you, you remember that? The difference between complete and finish. Of course, if you look at the Webster Dictionary, there's no such difference between complete and finish. But there's one guy who actually defined complete and finished, and he said, if you find the right woman, you are complete. And if you find the wrong woman, you are finished. <laughs> but if the right woman finds you with the wrong woman, you are completely finished. <laughs> so there's a big difference there. And so marriage in itself does not complete us. In essence, you have to be a complete person before coming into the institution of marriage. Amen. And so just to clarify this, and we want to be able to take a look in a deeper sense what marriage is. Some people get married because of companionship. You know, because they don't want to be alone when they grow old. Or maybe, uh, you know, uh, when the emptiness comes, at least there's someone there beside you. But is that really one that is a valid reason? Because sometimes it is still not enough. Some people get married because of the, this three-letter word, sex. They just want to have sex anytime they want, and at least it's legal. You know, I don't sin against God. You know, that's nice. You know, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the benefits of getting married, but that is not the ultimate purpose of marriage. Amen. Another reason why people get married is because maybe they want to have kids for procreation. Another, of course, that is one of the uh, distinct commandments of God when you, you know, when when God basically told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Procreation is part of that. But I believe that marriage is really much, much more than just having a family or raising up educated kids. We've got to be able to look at marriage from what the Scripture is saying to us. And so with this, I'd like to uh, invite everyone to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And all the husbands say, Amen. Amen. All right. It's either amen or oh my. Okay, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, now there's the wife's turn. Okay, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. And all the wives would say, Amen. Amen. In other words, that every husband should die for your wife every day. Okay, that is what this word means. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Everybody say, this mystery is profound. Yes. 
And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this time together as we talk about this topic on marriage. Bless every relationship that is represented in this church, Lord. And I thank you that you will give all of us a bigger picture. Indeed, marriage between a husband and a wife is but a picture of the bigger marriage between Christ and the church. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. We commit to you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we've read in the New Testament what marriage is all about. Of course, there's so many other verses on marriage that is found in the Bible. But in order for, the, for us to understand what marriage is, you've got to understand or you've got to visit the very first marriage. You know, the, the idea of marriage did not come from man. It came from God himself. In fact, it is not just a New Testament concept when you talk about marriage. Although the first miracle that Christ ever did was in the wedding of Cana, and it basically is a marriage, it's a wedding, and that's where Jesus started, you know, somehow revealing himself, and his glory was thus seen uh, before men. And if you look at the beginning of time, you know, it seems like marriage is like the wraparound theme of the Bible, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that was the first cosmos, the very first home, the first married couple. And if you look at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter, actually in chapter 21 verse 1, it says here that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth has passed away. And so here we see the old dwelling place of the first couple uh, in the beginning of time and the last dwelling place of the ultimate couple, Christ and the bride of Christ. The church. And that's going to be the new cosmos or the new beginning and, and you know, the new heavens and the new earth. And so, as God has created everything after six days, He summarized, and we're familiar with this, He summarized every day by saying it is good. And after the sixth day, He said it is very good. But yet, there's one point in His creation where He said it is not good. And what is that referring to? It's referring to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when the Lord said, It is not good that man should be what? Should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So here we see that from the very beginning, it was not Adam who was searching for a wife. It was God himself who actually provided a wife for Adam. Adam was happy uh, by himself in the garden. He had a purpose. He had a job description, so to speak, when God placed him in the garden. And he was having a great time fellowshipping with the Lord. And I believe that that is, in essence, what should happen before anyone gets married. That you need to have a vital, living, you know, relationship with our Lord in order for you to be able to give this selfless kind of love to another individual. Amen. Because if you don't do this, what happens is you're going to suck the life out of each other until you're bitten into a pup you realize that you, you married this person because of something that you're attracted from this person and basically that is about your need. You married because of a certain need. You know, she's beautiful, she's pretty, she completes me or she completes me and she, she's kind and she's generous. That still benefits us. What if things change? You know, we, we definitely have to have the right perspective or the right prerequisite. In, before you have 
this relationship versus our vertical relationship with the Lord has got to be there. And so it was God's idea to have, you know, a wife for Adam. In verse 19, it says, Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And so in other words, God paraded the animals before Adam. Kind of like Miss Universe, okay? Giraffe, okay? And so Adam was, you know, looking at all these animals. And, you know, maybe some of you are going to tell me, Pastor, you don't know what I married. I actually married an animal as well. So I'm not talking about that kind of an animal, okay? That is so cruel. But, you know, when Adam was looking at all these animals, he took the time to name each animal. And, and, and the Bible says, And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. But yet in verse 20, it says, The man gave names to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that is fit for him. So he was too short for Mr. Miss Hippopotamus or whatever, okay, or Miss Giraffe. So no match. So what did God do? He put Adam into a deep sleep. In other words, God does not need our help in choosing a wife. In fact, God wants you sleeping and not distracting him in fashioning his wife for you. Amen. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and when, while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place in flesh. Now, I want to just make a comment here because some of us are wondering, maybe if you're a single individual, you have this mystical concept of, you know, I need to find my missing rib. You know, out of the 7 billion people in the planet, there's probably a missing rib somewhere out there, you know. Are, you know, is our ribs matching, you know? You know, is that, does it have the same serial number or something like that? Is that the way that God really does all the... It was easy for Adam and Eve. They're the only guys there. But what about now? Seven bi- I don't know how many billions we are. Mo- more than 7 billion maybe. But is that really the concept? And many times we spend so much time finding Mr. and Miss Wright. And what we, d- we need to do is we need to be the Mr. and Miss Wright. What if you find Mr. or Miss Wright and his nickname is Always? He's always right. That's hard because you're always wrong if that happens. So he basically took one of the ribs and it's interesting, you know, if you look at the story of creation, how God has fashioned woman. I believe every woman that is seated here, you're a masterpiece that God had created. You know, when God created man, he actually took the dirt. <laughs> and he formed mud. And then he fashioned man. And then he breathed his life into man. That's how he created man. But for a woman, he did not even dirty his hands and he took a rib. Well, actually, it was bloody, <laughs> more than dirty. And he fashioned the woman, the woman into Adam. One particular pastor said this, that Eve was not taken out of Adam's head so that she can rule over him, nor was she taken out of his feet so that she can be trampled on by him, but she was taken from his side so that she can be near him, under his arm so that she can be protected by him, and near his heart so that she can be loved by him. It's a very significant place why God had actually took a rib out of Adam and has fashioned it because I believe that every woman, every wife needs to be cherished by the husband. 
that you have. In verse 22, it says, In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So here we see that it was not serendipity that brought Eve to Adam. It was not the alignment of the stars and the moon and the sun and the, the planets. Oh, wow. Everything's aligned. I'll find my love today. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's God's work that actually did all these things for us. And you may not be aware of how God has placed you together, but in reality, whatever your love story is, that is God's story. Amen. You know, I'm grateful for this idea and this theme and concept of marriage because I am a beneficiary of marriage. I don't have a perfect marriage. Me and my wife has been married, have been married for 27 years this coming uh, February. And by the grace of God, we are still happy. Yeah. <laughs> and I can actually say, you know, despite all the fights that we've had, and believe it or not, we've had major fights. We've had fights that we're not proud of. We've had fights that are almost like a turnaround point in our marriage. But yet, by the grace of God, we are still here. And I can honestly say with you, and as I woke up you know, this morning, and even in the previous day, I actually look at my wife and I say to myself, I love this woman more today than the first time I've met her, than yesterday. Really, it's, uh, it's but the grace of God. But yes, it sounds sweet. But my question for us this afternoon, is that really what marriage is all about? Is it just about us coming together under one roof, saying our vows, and becoming faithful with each other, and you know, overcoming every obstacle, and growing old together, and having kids that are educated, and one day being buried together in the same cemetery? Is that what marriage is all about? You know, I, I realize that I as, as, I have, I, as I am studying this particular topic on marriage, I found out that indeed it is so much bigger than us. Marriage is actually bigger than the two of you. Yes, marriage involves you, two, husband and wife, but it's so much bigger than the husband and wife. I'll clarify that later on. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called what? Whoa, man. You know, that's, a, you know, that's how they said it. Whoa, man. Because she was taken out of man. You know, when Adam first saw Eve, I, I, you know, I believe that it was love at first sight. There's nobody else to love. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is exactly where the Apostle Paul was taking a cue from. When we read from Ephesians chapter 5, this is exactly the reference point of that. And somehow, we can actually see that, wow, it's, it's a prophetic picture of what is to come. And what is this verse really referring to? Why did God say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother? Adam did not have a father and a mother at that time, biologically. Did you ever think about that? But you see, beyond. It's a prophetic picture of what is to come and a prophetic picture of what Jesus will do. 
and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful. Can we read this next statement? One, two, three. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, Adam and Eve were created to be together, yes. That is so true. But they were created to have a specific purpose and a mandate. And it's not just to have a life that is happily ever after. I mean, every young girl's dream is probably, you know, as they watch all the Disney movies, whether it's from, you know, Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin or Moana, it's about being happily ever after. But is it just about happily ever after? Getting married? Or is there any something that is bigger than us? In other words, as we see this, being described by God, we now look at the definition of marriage, the joining of a man and a woman to rule the earth on God's behalf. So in other words, when you, look, when you talk about marriage, marriage is more than just the joining of a man and a woman. And to have a happy life together. And to go on vacation to Disneyland. Marriage is definitely representing God in ruling the earth and being a blessing to the outside world. But somehow the fact remains that so many people are getting married for their own self-centered reason. We love each other. I want to be with her forever. Yes, that's nice reason, but still about us. We want to raise up educated children. We want to travel the world. We want to build a nice home, have a nice career. You know, I haven't heard anyone as I have sat down with couples give me this reason why they're getting married. I want to learn patience. Because in reality, marriage will teach you patience. Amen. If you're married here, you're probably going to agree with me. When I was single, I thought I was very patient until I had a wife. It's different. I didn't realize that you have to wait for the kilai to be aligned together in order for you to go to church. And it's important. It's not a minor thing. It's a big thing in a woman's life. Key life or eyebrows. Now, if you look at this, where is the God factor in marriage? And the question for us today, if you're married or maybe in the future you're going to get married, are we fulfilling the purpose of God in our marriage? You know, when this verse was spoken or written by the Apostle Paul, he quoted in verse 31 from Genesis 2.24. Then this verse 32 is found here. The mystery is profound. After describing the roles and the responsibilities of the husband and the wife, wife submit, you know, husband love your wife, and you know, as Christ loved the church, then he said this verse 32, this mystery, what is this mystery? This mystery of marriage. And he said it's profound. Why? I am saying that it refers not just to the marriage of a man and a woman, but to Christ and the church. That is why it's profound. In other words, your marriage and my marriage, our marriage is merely a reflection or an illustration or an analogy to the picture of Christ and His bride, the church. That is really what this verse is referring to. So let's take a look at this. You know, two, two things that I'm going to be sharing 
this afternoon, the mystery of marriage. And then later on, we're going to talk about the mission of marriage. Paul is saying that this particular verse has its ultimate consummation, not in the union of a man and a woman, but rather it refers to Christ and the church. That marriage is really just an illustration, an analogy, a picture, especially between a man and a woman, of what is to come. That's why when we go back to the verse Genesis 2.24, and there's not even a, an in-laws there at that time when Adam and Eve were created. Yet it was referring to leaving his father and his mother. Now, how many of you here, you're married and you really appreciate your in-laws? Please raise your hand. This is your chance, okay? Especially if they attend this church, okay? I really appreciate my in-laws and I love them. But Shirley is already orphan. Okay? But, you know, I had the privilege of being able to share the gospel to my father-in-law, you know, before he passed away. And I am grateful for them because of, without them, yeah, I will not have a wife. But yeah, what, is this, what does this mean? I believe it's a prophetic picture. In marriage, man leaves the comfort of his own home, his mom and dad, and will be united to his wife and cling to her as long as they both shall live. Now, in redemption, Jesus actually left the comforts of heaven and his father and went down to earth to be united with us, the church, the bride. That is the picture of that. You know, in the ancient times, you know, uh, a husband would normally pay a big dowry for the bride. I think some cultures probably still practice that today. You know, can you imagine if that is still practice here in the Philippines. You know, I have three daughters. I'll be rich. <laughs> if there's like a dowry in marriage. But yet, in the story of redemption, Jesus paid the price in order to purchase us to be His bride with His own blood. That is in essence what happened in marriage. Let's look at the mystery. Wives, submit to your own husband. Look at the red letter words. And I just put it there, okay? As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its Savior. Now, men, husbands, don't ever use this scripture as a weapon against your wife. Okay? Submit. You know, you know, if your wife does not want to, you know, submit. The Bible says, submit. You know, submission is not forced upon. Submission should be freely given. In the same way that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father when He was praying at the Garden of Mount Gethsemane, at first He was struggling whether to go to the cross or not, but yet ultimately He said, Father, not my will, but what? Your will be done. It is a form of submission. And when he submitted to his father, it does not mean that he is lesser than the father because how many of you know that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all co-equal in their standing with the Holy, as the Holy Trinity. Amen. So there's no one that is better than the other. It's just in the difference of roles. Wives are asked and encouraged by the Apostle Paul to submit to your husband because ultimately this is the picture of the church to Christ. As we 
put Jesus in our hearts, making Him our Lord and Savior, you know what happens? We submit our lives to Him, and what they're saying is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. And in fact, even the Lord would say, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not even do what I say? The concept and the essence of Lordship really is about obedience. But we can't use this in our marriages and beat our wives and say, obey. It has to be freely given to us. You know, I really appreciate my wife, Shirley, because after 27 years, she has learned to submit. No, no, no. Not after 27 years. But, you know, it's, it's really a walk with the Lord. In the same way I've, you know, walked sacrificially, learning it every day. I shared this morning about just a simple story that what happened uh, this past week. My wife had a retreat uh, for three days in Baguio together with some of the pastor's wives all across the Philippines. And uh, so she basically left me with the girls. And so we, you know, I spent time with the girls. And I wanted to surprise her by, you know, somehow fixing the house. Uh, that's not me, okay? I, I'm, not a, I'm not a handyman. But I, I tried to just, you know, have everything checked like you know the lights outside there are several lights that are broken and so I actually I didn't do it but I actually have someone did it okay I mean that's the secret okay you delegate but anyway so so I hired the the village maintenance to climb the ladder and you know paid him extra but anyway so so and so with that I also did a little bit of grocery because we're leaving tomorrow for a ministry trip in Qatar for a few days and we're going to be leaving the kids uh, with their uh, older sister, Bea. So we wanted to make sure that there's going to be food in the house. So as the husband who's responsible, who wants to be responsible, I took it upon myself to buy what I thought was supposed to be bought for the kids. So I bought everything that I knew that they wanted. okay, From chicken to... Not that just junk food, okay? That's a side issue, okay? But, you know, and then uh, in, my, in the grocery, Andrea called me and he said, Dad, can you buy cheese because I want to make cheese sticks? And so, okay, what kind of cheese? You know, as long as it's like mozzarella cheese or something like that. Okay, so I said, okay, it might be, uh, yeah. I'm looking for mozzarella cheese and so I looked at different brands and different prices and so uh, I, I bought one. And so when Shirley came back from, uh, you know, from the retreat, uh, she saw the, the freezer filled with meat, uh, with a lot of vegetables, and then she saw the cheese on the cheese rack. And so this is the question that she asked me regarding the cheese. Why did you buy this brand of cheese? And I said, what's the difference? It's just cheese. And I said, at least it's an imported cheese. And she said, it's not a good kind of cheese. And I said, how did you know? I tried it before. And so we were, you know, discussing this particular issue of cheese. And I said, love, it's just for a cheese stick for Andrea. I mean, that's, you know, we could have used, you know, cheese or whatever, Chevital or, you know, Eden or whatever. But I bought imported cheese. What's amazing is as we were discussing this, Shirley just decided to back off. She's the expert in the house when it comes to cheese. And she knows the kitchen inside out. And yet, after you know this mini banter of different kinds of cheese, 
we're gonna have actually taken on the fight, you know, until today. But anyway, it's just cheese. But you know, it's amazing is she actually backed off and she said, Okay. I'm not talking anymore about cheese. Let's move on. I said, Wow. It's a miracle. It's kind of like I won. No, 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 no. That's not that's not the reason why I'm rejoicing, but I think as husband, and this is just a very little, a small illustration about really what happens inside a marriage, the offenses that happens in marriage, the fights that we actually engage in, really are the petty things. In this particular case, cheese, 200 bucks, 200 pesos. And yet we make it big. And if we're insulted, we now use this term, submit, you know, submit because of cheese? You know, I, I wouldn't. But because she readily just said, it's okay. I said, oh, so I backed off. We actually learned how to choose our battles now. Because some fights and some battles are not worth fighting. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's move on to milk. No, no, no. <laughs> Because I believe the ultimate reason why a wife will not submit is maybe because she would think that she knows better than the husband and that she has a better idea or opinion. Maybe. But it's really about us walking in humility and ultimately walking in sacrifice. And if I may move forward, you know, the Bible says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now this is even harder the sacrifice, you know, the considering her better than myself. I could have been the one that says, okay, love, next time you'll have your cheese. But she chose to be the one to back off first. You know, if I were more sensitive, I would have said, okay, I'm sorry because I didn't know your preference of cheese. Because I want to consider her better than my, you know. But, you know, that's just a very crude, you know, idea or illustration or example of how it is to love. In, in other words, loving your wife is really about giving up your rights and pleasing her and putting her interest above your interest. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Even if we don't deserve to live, He gave His life for us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners and his enemies, he died for us. I mean, who would die for a friend? Maybe a few people, but to die for an enemy, that's unheard of. And I believe that is exactly what God is calling each husband to do, to love our wife. Not wives, okay, wife. Isa lang. To love our wife as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. The giving of yourself means to die to your ideas, to die to your opinion, to die to your rights. And if you have this kind of relationship in the home, I believe that it will be a better place to live in. But it doesn't stop there. Because this mystery of marriage you know, this thing about unity in the home and you know, submission and loving is only the start and the beginning of why God has called us together. 
There's so much more here. And to learn more about that, I'd like to invite you on February 28, 6.30, Let's Talk Marriage, whether you're a couple or a single, you know, Pastor Chico and Marianne will be doing this uh, session, Feb 28, uh, in Victory Alabang uh, Hall, okay? Also, we have on July 22, sorry, for the commercial break, okay? It's just here in my notes. Uh, United Weddings, that's going to be on July 22 at the Victory Alabang Center as well. So uh, this is actually like a mass wedding so that for those people who really could not afford like a big, big wedding and they want a simple wedding, we will do the wedding for you. And this is legal. Uh, we will spruce up the place for you. We have free makeup artists. We have photographers. We have videographers. Uh, you know, all you have to do is to bring yourself and your guest, you know, with your barong and bridal gown and we'll do the weddings for you. The reception is up to you, okay? <laughs> but, you know, we'll do this as a service for the people in our church. First is the mystery of marriage. The second is what? The mission of marriage. You know, the reason why God has called us together is because there's a purpose, there's a reason, there's a mission. There's a mission. It's more than us. Our marriage, I believe, is to showcase God to the world. And I call this missional marriage. You've got to have a missional marriage because I realize that marriage is more than just being happy. You know, can you imagine when that time comes when you face God at the end of, the, at the end of your life? And God would welcome you into His eternal dwelling. And you long to hear these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What would be the context of that well done? Is it because well done, good and faithful servant, because you have a happy wife? I think it's more than that. I believe God is just is not going to say well done because you have actually gone to Disneyland and you have spent time together and bonded together. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What does that mean? It's about stewardship of the resource that God has given to us. And I believe that marriage is, yes, it's one stewardship that we need to take care of, but it, it's not an end in itself. Marriage is a means to a bigger end. Our, marriage, our, our marriages should be attractional and we need to bring people to Christ. Many times people use God as a, mean, as a means to fix their marriage. And that's fine. God wants to heal, to fix, to restore. But, you know, we've got it the opposite. You know, we use God and we think that God is the means to the end. And we think that the end is marriage. As long as my marriage is fixed, then I'm okay. Yes, God wants our marriages to be fixed. But He wants our marriages to be fixed for a reason. Our marriages is not the end in itself. You know, after He fixes our marriage, then what? We stop at, you know, having it fixed. That's it. Let's go to heaven, you know. But I believe God wants our marriages to be fixed because of a bigger and a higher purpose. It's more than just us having a great marriage. Yes, God wants you to be a great marriage because how can you attract people from the world if you don't have even a great marriage? We've got, yes, we've got to fix our marriages. We've got to fix our issues. But yet, I realize that if you have this concept in this, uh, in this truth about eternity, everything will change. 
if you look at your marriage from the point of view and the perspective of eternity, everything will change. Just the idea of one day, all of these things will come to an end and all of us will go to eternity, it will change the way you look at marriage. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 10, you know, the days of man is 70, 80 if we have the strength. And in verse 12, the prayer of Moses is, teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Appreciate my wife. What she did was, she actually computed the number of days left. And she was probably estimating maybe about 85 is a good year already. Five-year bonus after 80 years from the Bible. And that's about 35 years times 50, 1,820 weeks left here on earth if she reaches that age. And somehow this particular perspective is a game changer. Because suddenly, if you know that your time here on earth is limited, what used to be an issue before is no longer an issue today. How many of you understand what I'm saying? The issues that we fight about, the issues that we raise up, the issue about whatever, I don't know, lateness or uh, minor issues or even the big ones because of eternity, because of Christ's forgiveness, because of His sacrifice on the cross. The fact that you and I are going to heaven, everything is changed. Our perspective about marriage will change. And I believe that marriage is indeed a gift. You know, we get to experience marriage here on earth because, you know, in heaven, there's no more marrying in heaven. You know, when we go to heaven, my, my, I envision that I'm going to be presenting my wife to the Lord. And the Bible says to present her you know, with radiance and beauty. And I, I hope to be able to present my wife as we walk together and as we fight together, as we not fight each other, okay? Fight, you know, you know, walk in this battle together that God would actually welcome her with flying colors and would be so pleased with her. But the, re- the reality is my relationship with Shirley will just be a sister and no longer a wife. I'm not going to call her love anymore. It's lovely sister or something like that. Okay. <laughs> and my children are no longer my children. My children are also sisters. If we understand what eternity is all about. Eternity is the game changer. If you know how many of you are, conv- are convinced and confident that you're going to heaven someday, please raise your hand. That's a game changer. Somehow all these things that we're fighting about suddenly does not matter anymore. Happy family, happily ever ever after. In reality, God has something bigger for marriage. You know, Adam and Eve was created by God and He married them so that they can actually rule the world on God's behalf. God called Mary and Joseph and married them together in order that they can actually birth the Savior of the world. And I believe that you and I are married because of a greater purpose. And it's more than just to have a happy family. It's to impact and to bless the world with our own marriages and families. Amen. I believe that is, in essence, the bigger picture or the bigger missional value of your marriage. Yes, fix it. 
Glorify God in it and let His name be known because of the way you live. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Indeed, it's a synergy every time two people come together. Two different individuals with different backgrounds. Marriage in itself is a miracle from God. And God is the one that sustains that miracle. And I believe that in the same way, Christ and the church is going to get married in order to bring salvation to the entire world. We're married to Jesus because that's our ultimate purpose is to share the gospel of Jesus into all the world. So in essence, you as married couples, you are a team. I have Team Marquez here with Shirley and my daughters running together. But if you try to find one of the best teams in the world, for example, I'm not really sure, even sure if you're the Golden State or the Cavs, whatever you are, whatever team you are. I'm just using this as an illustration. For example, the Golden State Warriors. Can you imagine, you know, one of the worst teams before, they got the right coach, and then they started practicing, and they did a lot of trainings together, and they did a lot of team buildings together. But if all they do is to team build and to have fun and to just, you know, somehow go out and so that they can be closer to one another and be united to one another, and at the end of the day, they don't win any game, how many of you know that they did not fulfill their purpose? Because at the end of the day, a team is measured not just by the unity, and that is important, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the essence and the effectivity of a team is measured by its winnability. And I believe that our marriages ought to win people for Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our marriage, your family, my marriage, ought to be an attraction for the world that they see us living for Christ and that we can actually bring people into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That in itself, I believe, is what is needed. Many times our problem is not really a marriage problem, but more often it's a God problem. It's our individual relationship with God that causes us to neglect the other person. But if we are right with God, then there's almost minimal or nil marriage problems. My final point is marriage is about two flawed people sent to a fallen world looking to a faithful God. And I should realize that yes, you are not perfect. Your wife, your husband, he or she is not perfect. That's why the grace of God is always there present. But as you look to God and His faithfulness, God is sending us to a fallen world, to a dying world. And they are looking for examples and, you know, not perfect marriage, but yet glorious and gracious marriages made by God, glorifying to Him. Can we just bow our heads right now as we come to a close? If you're married here, can you please lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. Whether your wife or your husband is here or you're here alone, maybe your wife and your husband is not here, I want to pray for you right now. Father God, I just pray for your grace to be upon these couples and upon these married people. We thank you, Lord God. Indeed, you have called them to use their marriage and their families to be a showcase to the people out there in the world. I thank you, Lord God. You know their story, Lord God. You know how broken we are. And maybe some of them 
this is their first marriage. Maybe to some, this is their second marriage. But whatever situation they're in in their life, I pray God that you would come and supply the grace that they need, Lord, to glorify you in their marriages in the name of Jesus. Father God, I thank you that you will strengthen each couple, Lord God, to, to know that this relationship has a purpose that is bigger than just them coming together. And Lord, may you give them a missional heart and a missional purpose, Lord God, to be able to maximize their life here on earth by telling others about the essence of ultimately we're going to be married to Jesus Christ and us as the church, His bride, that we're going to be with Him someday for the rest of eternity, Lord. I thank you, God, that indeed you will give us all the message. Burn it in our hearts, Lord, even right now. If there are any issues even right now that you want to repent to God for, just between you and God, just say sorry. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you need to repent of. Maybe area of bitterness and forgiveness. Maybe dishonesty. Maybe you failed your marriage. Maybe you've been in you know, infidelity against your spouse. Whatever that is. There's no sin that is big enough that God cannot forgive. But yet when we come to Him and if we're broken and we're repentant, God restores. God heals. And once again, God will be the one to supply the grace for us. Thank you, Lord. You may put your hand down. Just receive the grace from God. If you're a single person, can you please lift up your hand right now? Thank you, Lord. I just pray, God, for these people. Lord, I think that you will give them a vision of what it is to have a missional marriage. A marriage that may not be perfect here on earth, but Lord, a marriage that is glorifying to you, Lord. That ultimately our heart is to bring other people to you, Lord. And I think that even right now, while they're waiting, I thank you, Lord, that you will help them realize that they are complete in you, Lord. That they will continue to develop themselves, Lord God, to be, Lord, themselves being missional, to reach out to other people, even before they get married, Lord. I thank you that you will continue to supply the grace that they need while they wait. Keep them pure and holy, Lord, in their lives as they walk as single people, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Let's all lift up our hands all across this room. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of relationships. Ultimately, you are the one that supplies this selfless love for us. Thank you, Lord God, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. Lord, bless your people as we leave this place. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you peace. Father, we thank you that your righteousness, your peace, and your joy will be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen and Amen. God bless you all.